So um, every year, Mother Sandamani uh, gave me a wonderful place to stay here, and she said, I, don't, I, need, I only need this place during the winter, during the gem show. I said, great, then I can travel. But this year it was a little longer. The gym show is what, three weeks? Yes. Yeah, so I was away like eight weeks <laughs> or nine, whatever it was. But it was all uh, to get to Mayapur, or I'm part of a couple of groups trying to help this town uh, have a better future. But my first stop on the trip, when I left Wednesday, January 9th, I, I landed in New Orleans and about an hour and a half north of New Orleans, there's the Mississippi Farm in Hancock County, Mississippi. Uh, locals say career, a career, but it looks like carrier anyway. <laughs> so um, that was, excuse me, that was, uh, they invited me to present the founder of Chariacers. And uh, there was a lot of older devotees there, which is not common these days, because as time goes on, there's fewer and fewer of us. So, in terms of, you know, Prabhupada initiates. So, I, I, present, I presented in the morning, which was great, um, during the Bhagavatam class, say 7.30 to 9, we just cut out a few things. Well, we just want to have our layer. They usually have Bhagavatam time, 7.30 to 8.30. They let me go 7.30 to 9.00. They were very attentive. And they hadn't heard it before, so... They really liked how it was the resolution to the extremes of Ritvigism, or excuse me, Dikshism, which means the exclusive spotlight on the Diksha Guru at the expense of the founder Acharya. And then the reaction to that is Ritvigism. And the other extreme is Prabhupada's the only guru. So both nonsense things. So we just stopped that pendulum squarely at Prabhupada's lotus feet as everyone's founder Acharya, foundational Shikshu Guru. They love that. Give me. The really sticky stuff. But one thing, I, I really learned a lesson in a surprising way. It was going so well. I mean, I grew up about this and dominated. They were saying, we've got to start an online petition to have this be, you know, mandatory for anybody who wants to take initiation before they take the disciple course. they got to take this. So I'm saying, yeah, okay. And then one second gen, um, devotee, young devotee, son of a god brother. He was saying, yeah, I took the disciples course and that was rather official. This different, depends on the teacher, right? How they teach it. But his experience was it was very formal, it was organizational, it was official, which is, you need to do that. But you gave us a Prabhupada experience. Yeah. So it was very encouraging. So the last day, we had finished the series, and then we had time for one more session. And I said, let's have an open Q&A. Because you might remember when I presented here, <clears throat> every after, at the end of every lesson, I said, now when you ask your questions, do it in terms of these learning outcomes specific for this lesson. Don't ask me about anything, everything under the sun. But the last day, I said, okay, now it's open mic. You know, everything you wanted to know about the Foundry Chai, and we're afraid to ask. You know, just something like that. So uh, it was going so well that I, 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 and I knew the devotees, a lot of them, for many years. So I kind of let my guard down because when you're a presenter, you've got to be very sensitive to people's issues. You know, personal issues, what can you do? I don't, I don't know. I can't go into their personal issues, but at least what they've been through in ISKCON. So, somehow, a lot of the questions were about what happened in ISKCON in the 1980s. You know, the dark night of ISKCON's soul. And there was so much uh, imitation of Prabhupada's position. 
conflation of Dikshu Guru and Dhanavacharya. So my answer, in my answer, um, I was being very candid about my experience, which was only my experience after all. I headed for the hills of Gita Nagari during the 80s. Because uh, his own guru was pretty um, mild. He wasn't blocking anybody's relationship with Prabhupada. He was giving us, giving us a whole library of literature about Prabhupada. So I, I just started saying things very candidly. But um, because I was really pointing out a lot of the, the darkness of what happened in the 80s, there were people in the audience who had Diksha Gurus, who were initiated in the 80s, and a couple of them took it that I was really you know, bashing their guru. And I, that was not my intention. I was just uh, talking about the historically what happened and how everything was really imbalanced. And they walked out at different times. And so I had to repair some relationships. <laughs> With a couple of people, but it was it was good because that was, that was that's the kind of feedback where you learn, you grow, you know, from the adversity. Adversity, sweet milk philosophy, Shakespeare. Adversity, sweet milk philosophy. So that was you know it was a, a silver lining in the cloud. It was a heavy reminder from Srila Prabhupada. Okay, you gotta remember. You're not just speaking philosophy, you're talking to people who have had their, their experiences. So, I learned something there. Now, uh, I tried to keep a journal once I hit Mayapur, because um, I knew I was going to be asked to give a class like this or whatever. But I, by the time I hit Mayapur, I was ill, as I was expressing. And uh, I couldn't keep up between the meetings and, and the illness. But I'll just read you. And well, first, before, yeah, okay, Mayapur. I arrived on, uh, yeah, late afternoon, going into evening, Saturday, February 23rd. Sunday, February 24th, 2019, after a successful seminar series in Bangalore, I arrived in Mayapur. Last night, sick as a dog from a bad cold, I could feel coming on in the, quote, Garden City, that's Bangalore, for days before I left. Bangalurus, you know, the pre-colonial name for Bangalore was Bang Bangaluru. Where's my... So now they call themselves Bangalurus. Bangalurus told me the city isn't what it was since it traded gardens for microchips a couple of decades ago used to be called the Garden City, the air-conditioned city. And now they've been stripping the trees, building big, you know, industrial parks. And you call up for tech support for a computer, and you might get somebody, chances are you'll get somebody from Bangalore or Jewelor or Mumbai. <coughs> stripping its cooling trees and shooting its once modest temps into the 90s and even triple digits. Luckily, where I was staying, my house was living in a nice, still green uh, area. Still, enough pollen remained where I was staying at Palace Gardens to challenge my immune system during a shift from winter to spring. I hadn't had a humdinger cold in a couple of years, so I ignored the warning signs. But by the time I got on the plane to Mayapur, I knew my body was going down. The hellish taxi ride from Kolkata was simply the last nail in the coffin. You've taken that taxi ride? <laughs> Please blow horn. <laughs> yeah, the potholes. My God. Therefore, you know what they started in my point? Yeah, the boat. They started the boat, the, the, the boat uh, alternative. I mean, you could take the train, but that's also hellish. Chai, chai, chicken, chicken. You know, they sell everything on these trains. People get on at one stop and then you're for a whole, you know, half an hour. They might just ride it and then they're hawking everything under the sun. <laughs> you're just, it's crowded, you know. 
you're just getting on a bench and then more people get on and then gradually it gets pushed off the bench. <laughs> okay, so yeah, they have, uh, they're just starting, they just have a few times a week, but that's going to be big later on. Hmm. I didn't sleep well, tortured by a longing to again experience Rama Mahorta Sadhana in the Dham against the reality of coughing, mucus, a spacey head, and increasing weakness. I got up late, evacuated, bathed, tea-locked, dressed, and walked outside onto a lovely sun-drenched strip of green outside the guest house. That was the only sunny day for about a week. Mm. It was a nice patch of green with sun. A perfect place for meditative japa. Knowing that straying from that shelter would expose me to non-stop cash-up with Mayapur's visiting devotees, with devotees visiting Mayapur, um, I stuck to my patch until nine when I decided to seek out a hot cup of ginger lemon tea. I brought a supply of my own, but didn't yet have a kettle, no, a hot pot. And in Bengali's words, calling it, oh, you mean kettle? K-E-T-T-L-E. Kettle? What? Kettle? <laughs> For who? You mean kettle? Yeah. I brought a supply of my own, but didn't yet have a kettle to boil water for it. That would come later. Immediately I met Mahapaprabhu, who was very sorry to hear my voice was not up to joining him for his retreat. When I was in Bangalore, we were calling each other on WhatsApp. And he said, hey, as soon as you get in, why don't you join me? We're going to do this retreat. The theme is everything you wanted to know about Srila Prabhupada, but probably haven't heard from your authorities. That's Mahatma's special one. He wished me well as I staggered in the direction of food paradise, which makes a good cup of ginger tea. Just a little shot. All right, I'm just going to... Uh, I'm a Chinese lady, acupuncturist, I knew from before. Then I staggered over to the ghost shower where I wanted to give a donation. Instead of slipping a note in the hundi, a young Bengali lady at a booth suggested I sponsor a plate of giant ladus which I fed to the cows. That was so much more fun than just giving a note and a hundred. She said, uh, so I gave 500 rupees. And she said, oh, so she gave me a big plate <laughs> piled with water, you know, and the cannabis went giving it to the cows and they were like in heaven. You know. It was like the Sunday feast. You just, you know, take a, a ladu or two big, like softballs, or hardball sized ladus. And they were just, <laughs> throwing them down. It was it was wonderful. Small ones, big ones with horns and with horns and without, which I fed to the cows. Small ones, big ones with horns and without. Humped locals and humpless foreigners, all devouring the balls in no time. Great fun for all. Since it was Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur's appearance day, we were all fasting till noon. After which I headed to Madhu's bakery for the best Russian borscht in the dime. I had two bowls of the hearty soup while chatting with the humble, smart brahmacharya from Slovakia. Then I went to order my cloth. This is my, this is a good, this is jute. I haven't worn jute in about 20 years. Nice. Is that cotton? Is it, what is it? It's just its own fiber, huh? Yes. It's like a reed. It grows and then they harvest it and they lay it out to dry. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, it's like a, somewhere between cotton and silk, it feels like. Mm. Real smooth. So I, I ordered some claw. Then I, I brought my kettle. I went to this place, got a kettle. And I put the bandar. And then I got really not hurry from Hawaii. Who filled in for me? He went up to Mahatma's retreat and uh, he helped him. Tomorrow I'll visit a doctor at the Pali Clinic so I can get on a program to at least relieve the bad cold symptoms before our Sabah meetings start Wednesday the 27th. So the whole time I was in Mayapur, I was mainly in meetings, which was a different experience. It wasn't really fun <laughs> being in meetings all day. 
you know, everybody's out at peripheral level, somebody, a nice song is going on. I mean, this was a nice song too, but it was pretty grueling. The day ended with a pigeon drama. <laughs> yeah, I told about the pigeon then. Um, so, yeah, there was this pigeon nesting in my uh, exhaust, the bathroom exhaust fan's shelf just outside. The management is sending a mystery tomorrow. Mystery means carpenter, 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 fireman, you know, all-purpose all fix-it man. It was Sunday, so it was Bhakti Siddhanta's Prince Day, and it was, so nobody was around. So we, tomorrow at 10, Prabhu, and he actually showed up at 10, so I was amazed. Monday, February 25th, 2019. I slept longer last night, rising at 5 a.m. To evacuate, shave, bathe, and wonder who the pigeon is outside the bathroom's fan ledge. He barely moves. See, he didn't, I didn't know she was sitting on chicks. Or maybe it was a neck, maybe the chicks were born. You know? She was just sitting there. I thought, wow, this is a Don Blasi. The, the bird has not moved a muscle since I walked in and, and did my pigeon imitation. <laughs> But she wasn't buying it, you know. I didn't even know it was a she. I was just looking at me, you know, <laughs> grave eye. It was like a sober like, maybe it's a maybe it's a deva. <laughs> um, he barely moves, but poops and kicks dirt over the ledge into the bathroom. The mystery means carpenter, but they serve as all-purpose handyman and even firemen. Came at ten a.m. with a crew to inspect the pigeon. When they shoot him away, we discovered he's a her, because two baby pigeons were under her. I think she was in the process of hatching, you know, the baby hatching some eggs. The mystery took one in his hand, so he climbed up on a chair. Bravo! He showed me this yellow squaw, this baby pigeon. Um, let's see. Then put it back after securing a cloth to the fan so the mother couldn't knock debris into the bathroom. Now that the mystery is gone, she's back sitting on her babies. So, yeah, he turned the fan on and then shoot her away. But then he quickly saw that there were babies, so he turned the fan off. So they couldn't, they wouldn't get cold. Now that the mystery is gone, she's back sitting on her babies, keeping them warm. I have the fan off so no one gets cold up there. It's a cool, rainy day. A cleaner came to clean the whole bathroom. That was serendipity. No, I got a, a, a real thorough bathroom cleaning after that. I got a cleaning and the pigeon got her babies back. Whenever I walk in the bathroom, she gives me the hairy eye, as if to say, back off, Bubba. Oh, back off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we, we just sort of made you know, made our peace, live and let live, right? But she always, whenever I went in the bathroom, you know, she just <laughs> looking at me. All right. Um, so, yeah. So then it was time for the meetings to start. So this is what I was doing for several months here from last August. I was online with this group that was newly forming. That was a, that was a revival of a group Prabhupada had started in 76, spontaneously started, when uh, there was a big war between the householders and the grihastas at the 1976 Mayapur meetings and the GBC meetings. Um, the sannyasis headed up by Tamal Krishna Maharaj had gone into those meetings with an agenda to get the, get the families and the women, the children, and the, and the householders just out of the temples. They wanted to take over the temples. And they thought the house, the family should just live outside and support themselves. So Prabhupada, you know, sometimes he would do this. He would just let things go on until he would lower the boom, right? So here's what he, so at the end of every GBC meeting day, uh, Tamal Krishnamarath would bring Prabhupada the latest resolutions they passed, all about, you know, transforming ISKCON into basically uh, the International Society for Monks and Celibates, right? <laughs> That's what they were, 
<laughs> that was what they were up to. So Prabhupada just tipped his head. Like he didn't say anything. And, and so the resolutions were piling up. And then they passed them. And then as soon as they passed the resolutions, the, the temple presidents, who were all family people, the household, the temples were run by family, family men and their wives and children. So, uh, so they got a hold of the resolutions and they were furious. They hit the roof and they all went en masse in a group right to Srila Prabhupada's room. And uh, they were just beside themselves with anger and frustration. One, and going, you know, ticking off the, the resolutions that had been passed. And Prabhupada, he agreed with them. So one by one, they were deleted you know, from the year's resolutions. This is wrong and that's wrong. And then the sannyasis headed by TKG felt really, felt really defeated. And that's when Tamal Krishnamaraj came to Prabhupada's room, just expressing grief and remorse. And I feel so useless, Srila Prabhupada. I should just go to China. And then Prabhupada, yes, you must go to China. That was how China started. <laughs> just uh, like a lark, right? Uh, out of frustration, I should just, like saying, I should just go to the moon. Right? Yeah, you must go to the moon. It was China. And so, and then, and then TKG said, Oh, I didn't, I was just joking, Prabhupada. I didn't really need it. And then he was giving so many reasons why, you know, that wasn't serious. And then Prabhupada was just, No, you must go to China. <laughs> So, so then that night, Tamakrishna Maharaj tells how he was, he, he couldn't sleep because he saw Prabhupada was serious and he was sold out, Prabhupada, man. And so he, he, he thought of a whole list of things, you know, really good reasons. It's like Arjuna, he didn't want to fight for very good reasons, right? Very uh, dharmic reasons. So Tamakrishna Maharaj compiled this list of reasons why it's, you shouldn't go to China. And every, everything that he mentioned, Prabhupada, countered, you know. And then when he saw he was defeated, he said, okay, Srila Prabhupada, I'll go to China. So when I was in Mayapur, when I was in Mayapur, I got the inside scoop of what happened from the devotee who was, was with Jamal Krishnamaraj at the time, not a sannyasi. They went to China, but they actually went to Hong Kong first because that was still a British protectorate, and it was, but it was the Chinese culture. I mean, they speak Cantonese, not Mandarin in Hong Kong. But still, the China is a lot of, you know, interaction. It's like, you know, the border in Mexico. So, um, but they saw uh, from their, don't forget, this is 70, oh, this is after Prabhupada left, yeah. Yeah. Because that was 77. No, that was 76. No, no. Anyway, they, they couldn't go right away because it was too dangerous. So they uh, they went, yeah, they were just dressed in suit and tie. But they, it was too dangerous. And then, you know, in the 70s, Nixon uh, started a thaw with the Chinese, at least economically. And then in the 80s, TKG went. Um, and now today, you know, there's so many Chinese devotees in, in China and also in Mayapur, big contingent. They can't have out-and-out -out temples. That's too much of a presence, but they can practically do everything but uh, through the door of yoga and the Buddha. Because the Chinese love yoga, they love the Buddha. So that's what the devotees do. That's their kind of door to Krishna consciousness in China. Um, so anyway, uh, when the, the temple presidents did that, uh, overruled the sannyasis, I mean, there was a, a, a full-on revolt, and Prabhupada agreed with them, because Prabhupada's not like that, he's it's not just for, you know, celibates, it's for everybody, regardless of Varna or Ashra. So then uh, Prabhupada saw that this was good, that there's a, there's a check and balance on what he would come to call it his final will, last will and testament, ultimate managing authority. There's a, there's a check and balance, should be. 
So in 77, when they did the resolutions, one of the resolutions, and you can hear it on the recording, since Maharaj is reading this, and he's saying that the temple presidents will review the resolutions subject to their approval, or if they have a problem, they can send it back for more work from the GBC. So that's what happened in 76 and 77. But then when the whole you know, nightmare came in in the 80s, imitation to Prabhupada's position, um, that got lost. And so, but just last year, yeah, in 2018, well, actually, he was born at the 2017 Sangha of Sannyasis, Gurus, and GBCs. They felt a need for this. If we're going to actually gain the, the trust of the devotees, you know, it's like a, it's like a standing joke, right? Like a pastime of a lot of devotees just criticize the GBC, criticize the resolution, saying they're out of touch, they're in their IT tower, what have you. So uh, the GBC doesn't want to be, have that kind of a relationship with the assembled devotees, so they decided a good way would be to revive this. We need some kind of feedback on our resolutions. And uh, so they empowered this group on paper to uh, review the resolutions, uh, just not to block them if we really, really feel that they're off the wall, or if we feel that they have a good idea but it just needs to be, you know, reworked, then we can send it back. But we're brand new. We just were online for the last six months, and then we finally met face to face. My poor people from all over the world, all different generations, genders. Uh, different God families, yeah. So it was about 29 of us or something like that. So basically we just got to know each other. But uh, what the GBC wants this, us to do immediately is, and this is happening imminently, and in a, any day now, that uh, our chairman, Shrikanata Prabhu, who ITV, uh, he's our chairman, he's gonna send us uh, the resolutions raw, you know, unedited, uninspected by the lawyer, just to see what we have to say. Um, so they want us to do that, and then they want us to help them with the ISKCON Constitution, which Prabhupada has wanted since 1975. Yeah. So, okay. And then there was a day break. Well, we didn't, we didn't meet one day for the Sabah. Sabah means Spiritual Advisory Bhagavad Assembly. Sabah. And then we, on Monday, March, no, Friday, March 1st, we, uh, we all just went to the temple because there was this, um, every five years they have a full-on Abhishek of the Panchatattva, which you may have seen online. Really amazing just to see, you know, the yuga, the yuga mortis, <laughs> the, 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 the avatars for this age especially in the golden avatar, Lord Chaitanya. You know, the gigantic forms and then the devotees behind them like bees going for the honey of Seva to bathe in, you know, for three hours it went on. So then uh, we met our final day and then we had a day off and then we, I went right into this Sanyasi Guru GBC Sangha, which I had never been to before. But it was pretty neat to see the gurus and the sannyasis and the GBCs up close and personal. And I told uh, Sandamani how we just, we, for the icebreaker, we just got into small groups and we just shared how we came to Krishna consciousness, just to get to know each other, you know, more personally. Put a, a history and a face and a personality behind, you know, the names that you hear and the people you see online. And that was sweet. And we started the days with real hot kirtans. I mean, we're talking 60 people in their 60s and 70s really letting their shikas down, shikas down. You know, Malati is there too, right? Malati, Dina Sharda from Germany. We, we have two Vaishnavi GBCs. So <laughs> I cracked Malati up when we started the kirtan. You know, she and Dina Sharda are the only ladies in the room. It was like 108 men or something. 
So I slid by Malati and I said, don't worry, Malati, I'm not going to ask you for this dance. <laughs> and she just cracked up. It was great. <laughs> and then, you know, they're filming it online. and Yeah, it was really hot. Hot care time. And it really loosened us up, you know, for the meetings. I want to share with you some exercises. Because it wasn't just getting to, it wasn't just fun exercising, but it had a purpose to feed the strategic the GBC strategic planning team, raw data, how we were thinking about different things. So, um, well, here's a nice one. What would happen if everybody read Prabhupada's books more? Because I think a couple of some years ago, in said 2017, they took a survey of the leaders, yeah, of the SGGS, and yes, the Guru's GBCs. Uh, how much you read Prabhupada's books, you know, and be honest. And it was like, hardly anybody's reading Prabhupada's books, and these are the leaders, right? You were telling about this, right, for the GBC college. So if we're not reading Prabhupada's books, wow, that means there's every chance we're just making things up, or we're straying from Prabhupada's mission and vision, and, and how we're supposed to relate to each other, and how we're supposed to preach, and you know, it's all there in Prabhupada's Vani. His written word, his spoken word. So the vision of this is I'm just this is the distilled essence now of what we what would happen if we had a vision of if we were all really, you know, had our ears to the ground of Prabhupada's books. We have uh Oh, yeah, the devotees, would, we would all have more faith because we would, because when you're, you're in touch with Srila Prabhupada by his vibration, whether it's spoken or written, it's just amazing, you know, how deep and, and broad and vast and how flexible Prabhupada is. How he applies you know, the principle, the universal principles of Krishna consciousness very personally on the time, country, candidate. So it would give us more faith, uh, Naturally, if we're reading more, then we're going to want to share what we're reading with people, so the book distribution will naturally increase, because we're directly in touch with the matchless gifts of Prabhupada's books. We would have more unity of purpose, we'd all be more on the same page, you know, and the pages are vast and deep, but we'd all appreciate each, each, each other's, the pages we're each on, you know, whether it's the uh, farm page or the Google the page or the whatever uh, prasad distribution page. We'd have more unity of purpose. The classes would be based more on Srila Prabhupada's words than other scriptures. Sometimes we bring in other things which are fine as support, but not as the main course, not as the main references. Srila Prabhupada's mood will pervade and prevail in this class. We would relish reading Srila Prabhupada's books more because, like, Vaisheshika was there and he was bringing up his BSH page by page program. This is the website, and you can pick your pace and pick your way of, of how you're going to read Prabhupada's books and participate in the, in the Sangha of doing that online as well as personally. Devotees see more of Srila Prabhupada's books becoming relevant in their lives because there is so much. And we used to say, I, I know if, if you're reading Prabhupada's books or if you're hearing Prabhupada's words, it's uncanny how Prabhupada can speak to you just what you're going through. You know, it's not, it's not uh, by accident this happens because Prabhupada is the external manifestation of the super soul. He's on that level. He's so transparent to Krishna. So if we're really listening to what he's saying or writing, all the answers to our, our problems personally and also the world's problems are right there. You know, it's not a bluff or a sentimental, but we just have to be listening. Devotees see more Srila Prabhupada's books becoming relevant in their lives. Less guru groupism. We're all, every generation is supposed to produce literature. The you know, uh, whatever the person's a guru or a sannyasi or whoever they are, we're supposed to keep updating the parampara. 
But those updates, if they're worthy, they will inspire us to come back to the, the fountain of Srila Prabhupada's books. Because those, Prabhupada's body is universal. And of course, there's dated references in Prabhupada's books. But they are all serving as kind of side dishes to the main course. And we'll all appreciate Prabhupada's, Prabhupada as the main deliverer, as the main foundational shiksha guru. More philosophical check and balance. Because there are emphases in Prabhupada's books, and uh, if we just go in there you know, as, as beta-based lawyers, for example, we, can, and we all know we can pick anything out to, to justify anything for Prabhupada's money. But if we really read them in a balanced, deep and broad way, it will be more balanced. Improved devoted relationships, more spiritually advanced and mature devotees, generally more cooperation and understanding amongst devotees, leaders, etc. All from drinking deep at the fountain of Prabhupada's books. Now, I think this is a California. Oh, yeah. So all of them good, right? Yeah, yeah, wait, wait, round, round, read Prabhupada's books. Now, what are the challenges to reading? All right, so we've only got so much time, etc. Okay, one too much. So, number one, too much social media, <laughs> taking time away from reading. It's so common now. It's it's like becoming a, a discipline in, in uh, academia. You know, it's it's the pathology of being addicted to the next pain, <laughs> the next Facebook post, or the next like, or people are. I, I was sharing, yeah, in my group, I was sharing how I read an, uh, an op-ed in the New York Times from Steve Jobs, former right-hand man. He wrote a piece in the New York Times in January, and the title of the piece was, You're Using Your, your Cell Phone All Wrong. And he was lecturing the reader about how his friend, Steve Jobs, created the first iPhone. It was supposed to be a way to facilitate your it was supposed to, to your communication and opening your mind to other perspectives. And but it was before social media. It wasn't it wasn't meant to control your life. It was supposed to be a tool, an accessory that you could use. And now uh, and there was a cartoon with the iPad too, how in the beginning it was like somebody using this iPhone as a tool. And then and, and the and then today, that was in two thousand seven or six, six or seven it came out with the I the number one. And then today the uh, the cartoon was it was the phone using the human as the tool. <laughs> right? We're being completely used by the technology and becoming slaves to it. So that was number one challenge to reading. Uh, reading other books and preaching from other books. Again, we're not living in a vacuum. We're going to hear and read so many things, but we have to uh, make Prabhupada's Vani the measure of all we see and hear and read. And we can only do that if we're mainly reading Prabhupada. Leaders and preachers not stressing on reading Prabhupada's books and not setting an example privately or publicly. This is the challenges. Trying to present themselves as rasika or learned by reading other books. <laughs> right. Service interfering with reading. We have a lot to do, but we're not hearing. You know, all hearing, all wisdom, all work and no play. So all work and no hearing makes Johnny a dull bhakti. Too much emphasis on loving and caring emotion as to make it seem that Shastric knowledge is less important. Okay, so an imbalance can be we're so much into Vaishnava relationships that we don't we don't know how the basis of them is actually Krishna and Srila Prabhupada. That's how we can actually be each other's friends and, uh, and help each other by the wisdom and, and the love and by the Krishna consciousness and, and Prabhupada's words. Overemphasis on material stability slash advancement, fitting in materially, um, yeah, and not 
knowing how to be in this world as a devotee, but not of it, not, you know, not uh, over-influenced by the world. Not many devotees to associate with who have a taste for reading. So then be the change, be the taste, <laughs> start something, right? Not enough emphasis on book distribution. If you read more, you distribute more. Collection and preachings. Oh, books are the basis. Yeah, forget reading, just go out and make money. We've seen the fruit of that. Lack of Brahminical nature. Well, we're not. We all have different natures, but we're trying to become Vaishnavs. In this case, that meant Vaishnav, Vaishnav nature. So we have to hear. Regardless of our varna or ashram, we all have to hear our foundational guru. 30 years old devotees find kirtan more attractive. Yeah, I read the books and I'm just into the music. But they go together. They're not mutually exclusive. They enhance one another. The chanting of Hare Krishna, you know, you could say the religion is enhanced. Uh, that's for the heart, I like to say, you know, art for the heart and uh, philosophy for the head. But they they go together. The more you get a taste for the holy name, then the more you want to hear about Krishna. And the more you hear about Krishna, the more you want to chant his names. So, yeah, mutually, there's a prophet say, co, co-relative. The trend of ISKCON authority is to emphasize service over reading. We know here in ISKCON too, some of you both. Solutions to encouraging the reading of Srila Prabhupada's books. Organizing reading. The word here was marathons, but then that sounded so exhausting, so somebody changed it to uh, reading festivals or something. Retreats or something? Huh? Yeah, reading, that's right, exactly. It was reading retreats. That's what it was. Reading included in the schedule of temple activities. Encourage devotees to form reading groups. And it goes on and on. Um, Keeping the balance of work, rest, reading. Maintaining a sadhana card. (laughs) They have this for the brahmacharis, you know, in Chopin. It's not only... Have you attended class? But it's also you have to, you know, you have a side of a card, like a report card, to your counselor. Have you done this and that? Uh, okay, I'm gonna go back to. Oh yeah, so I was sharing with Jiro and Sandali last night that one of the exercises was, uh, and this this is an ongoing thing of you know, the different lines of authority. You have the preachers and their disciples, and then you have the management and and the people under their charge. And they're supposed to, these lines of authority are supposed to complement one another, not clash, but very often they do. So, out of immaturity. So, uh, here's some outcomes from our exercises. We got into groups, and it was like, we were supposed to list uh, the ideal consciousness of a visiting preacher, how we should approach the yatra, right? And then from the other side, the ideal consciousness of the host, who's hosting the visiting preacher, right? And then we did we did that, and then we did the worst case scenario, the, the worst mentality of a visiting preacher, and then the worst mentality of a, of a like a temple president, say, a host. So they were, it was, everybody was speaking from pure experience. <laughs> All right, so here's what, okay. Here's how temple administration and local GBCs even can create obstacles for visiting preachers. Well, number one, they're just not welcome. They're not, you know, we don't want you. (laughs) We don't want you coming here. Bad arrangements, room, there's no proper room, prasadam, the airport pickup is spaced out. Um, <laughs> uh, and also, uh, the visiting preacher, 
a bad scenario for him is a bad mentality if he, can, if he starts a campaign against the local leadership. Because wherever you go, right, wherever you go, people are going to come to you, you know, with their, their gripes, right? And they want shelter from you, and you don't know anybody, you know, you don't know the situation. So you have to say, well, I'm sorry, Prabhu, I don't really know, you know. <laughs> or if I make a joke, I would, nice try. I'm not coming in between you and the TP. Sorry. Um, so, yeah. So, if the, if the host... If he discourages the visiting preacher's preaching, don't, you know, don't preach to my, my devotees. Or the temple directs the preachers on what to preach. Which can be actually good. That could be positive too. You know, Prabhu, we have a real uh, uh, challenge here. We have a real weakness. Maybe you could address that in a nice way. You know, without being obvious about it. That could be nice. But the temple TP could also say, "Now look, we need you know we need uh, this. We need these people to tell the line. So I want you to you know be a taskmaster and tell tell them to surrender, Prabhu." It depends on the consciousness. Uh, the TP can discourage the preacher's disciples and relationship with the guru. Um, a sure way to discourage is don't offer any lakshmi. Actually, the first thing that, came, that everybody said, the number one thing was, don't feed him. <laughs> you know? Or feed him just the opposite of what he needs. You, know? you, get, you get his diet right ahead of time. Then feed him oily, greasy stuff. <laughs> Not fit for old guys. Um, hmm. <laughs> Instead of giving him dakshin, you asked him for a donation. <laughs> I guess this happens. Right? Restrict their stay or frequency of stay. Which it could be reasonable, but if you, if you say, you know, if the guy comes from 2,000 miles away, then, okay, you got the weekend, Maharaj. <laughs> That's all you can stay. Otherwise, we had we didn't tell you, but we got a rocky action the next day. Totally block them. Yeah, sometimes you can just forbid them. Allah, that's what happened during the Zohar Chaya. You're not allowed to come in this kingdom. You're, you're the wrong kingdom. <laughs> yeah. we're, this, we're this guru. We're not that guru. Ah... Not facilitating any outreach engagements. Yeah, you just have them give a class and then ignore them for the rest of the week. <laughs> oh yeah, he's over in his room. I know what he's doing. Um, or the preacher. Let's see. Yeah. I'm not sure which. These are merged, so I'm not sure which one this is. Criticism, criticism of devotees, current ISKCON politics, gossip to general devotees. Yeah, the visiting preacher can just start running everybody down. You know. the management, <laughs> what's wrong with this guy? Setting a bad example in various ways by their own activities. Invite a campaign against the local leadership. Yeah, that came up twice. Anyway, so yeah, to start every day, Roger behind for our facilitator who facilitates for a living for the Department of Interior, he would tell us, as yesterday's exercises, we got them all collated, and we got them all typed out for the uh, Organization Development Committee for the Strategic Planning Team. This is not going in vain, you know, because he knew we, it was kind of grueling, you know, to, to meet for hours, so he wanted to encourage us, pat us on the back, but you're doing good stuff here. Guru causes problems in the temple. Well, this is just more of the same. Well, let's see, so many new stuff. Unannounced arrival. Did that ever happen here? Somebody just showed me. That's a forming recipe for disaster, right? Isolate disciples and establish separate authority. Removing devotees or disciples from the temple for independent program. Taking excessive donations away from the temple. Encourages devotees to follow them and not the local mentor. Inappropriate comments, sharing about controversial or sensitive topics. 
Anyway, so many these things are going on. And then here's what the, because there were a lot of people who were in management there too, um, even though they were sannyasis or gurus or JVCs. So they would simply request the visiting preacher for prior, prior information of the preacher's travel, program, dates, persona, needs, etc. And don't ask me, the manager, to, to recommend people. Um, don't, no, don't, don't initiate anybody in this temple unless, you know, I've given you a recommendation. Because that's how Prabhupada did it. He depended on the temple managers to get to know the devotees to see how they were performing. And then on that recommendation, he would go ahead and initiate people. Sometimes people would, I guess, come in and they just scoop up, initiate people without any prior requirement being met. Um, gurus should preach to disciples to follow the temple authority and cooperate with temple to, in determining disciples' services. Yeah. Gurus should encourage harmony among his disciples and other devotees and act neutrally. The guest preacher should come at times when he's needed, even to places with less money that need preaching. Yeah, so the preacher shouldn't plan their itinerary according to where the gold is, you know, follow the money. That's... That's what they do. <laughs> yeah. Go to the right fields. And they should have their own medical insurance. They shouldn't take all their maladies and come to a temple. They you know there's, I guess, I don't know. Good medical care, or where there's a lot of doctors in the congregation and just spend the whole time getting fixed up. Again, there's always a, you know, this could be reasonable, but if it's, it could be unreasonable too. The, the preacher should inspire the local congregation and assist in the local preaching. Train local, in other words, the ideal attitude of a visiting preacher is uh, how can I serve this yatra? You know, how can I, what can I do? How can I help you? Not just come in with his own agenda and just do his own thing. Um, communication, communication, communication. <laughs> That's the main thing that came out of one group. Ask about, the preacher should ask about specific topics from the manager to bring up or avoid. Yeah. Don't come in there and just run roughshod off some, over some sensitive issue. And the visiting preacher should attend Mongol RT. <laughs> right. uh, so all in all, it was a great trip. Even though I got ill. And I'm looking forward to being with y'all. To mid-June, when I start the summer tour. You have any questions? Yes, and wait a minute, you're Deborah. I'm Deborah. Right. Okay. I have a comment. Yes. It sort of applies to what you were just talking about. I came into Christian consciousness through a temple that was primarily Babaji's, but we had some some men and some male uh, families, you know, uh, living outside of the mm -hmm. temple, so there were some male presence. Um, and, uh, and the Madhijis were very outgoing and very lively. And so their uh, job was to go out into the town and preach to people and to distribute books and to raise money. And uh, um, Sanyasi came, he didn't ask all those questions that you just recommended that he asked. And he gave a whole lecture on how all the men are supposed to go out and raise money and distribute books. And, Madhijis are supposed to stay home right. and take care of the children. It was, you know, and everybody was just sitting there silently with their <laughs> This was circa what year? Oh, that was probably about um, maybe, I don't know. Before 18 years ago. Okay, like yeah. yeah. So you can see how I mean, 18 years ago was even more of an issue. At least now we're conscious and that board. We're trying to preemptively strike these issues out <laughs> before they... Yeah, it's everybody, and then and then there was a skit. Uh, it was Bhakti Mark Swami, everybody's favorite Swami, for plays. Oh, the last night I was there, 
Uh, he did Kunti and, and Karna. When, when Kunti reveals to Karna who he is in the Samadhi Auditorium in Mayapur. Oh, what a play. I tell you, I've seen this play done three times by different people. One, first, my, my late great sister Rasa Gya, and her husband, Loi Tukshin. They just did a two-person play because they're professional. They're really so moving. Uh, and then I saw it some years later. Anyway, this production, it was so good. It was so good for the lighting and for the acrobatics and the martial arts. Not only that, but it was good for the for the devotee who played Kunti and the devotee who played Karna. It was they had us in tears. Kunti is begging Karna, you're a Pandava. You can be the king. We don't have to have this war. Karna, my son, please join us. But because his whole life, Karna had been scorned as the son of the chariot, he didn't know his lineage, if you know the history of the Mahabharata. He was considered just a low-class son of a charioteer, although he was super, he was a son of Quinti and the sun god. So that's why his, he was so skilled. So Karna, he, the devotee was so good. His name is Krishna Kishore, actually known as Kish in Alaska. And uh, he, he wanted to, he wanted to, he was very touched by his mother's revelation. But after all, she was the one who put him in the basket in the river, who let him go. You know, why? Why are you telling me this now? Why now? You know, so he was torn. Because finally, his whole life, he had this issue. He was, he was scored as the son of the Sutta, although he was heavy duty chantry, actually. And now Kunti's revealing to him his, his true pedigree. But then his whole life, he, he, he was scorned, and, and, he, and only Duryodhana gave him shelter, gave him a little kingdom, you know, gave him something, because Duryodhana saw a heavy-duty war for his side. And so, so Karna was like, ah, no! So it was like we were all rooting for him, you know, to join her. And he goes, no! <laughs> and Quinty's like, so the next day when I saw Keish, I said, Keish, I've always known you as a very athletic actor on the stage. I mean, you know, these people are doing flips and, and, you know, martial arts with knives and, you know. But he had it in tears. It was the depth of the emotion. I said, how did you do that? i never seen you do that. He said, Bhakti Mark Swami's a genius. That's all I said. <laughs> Yeah, so that was my last night in my court, and I was getting better. And now I'm here, you know, just know that I'm 50% better. <laughs> but tolerate the coffee. <laughs> and I do have some, uh, uh, what is it? Oh, yeah, this is a great Jayapataka Swami, the last day of the SGGS. He was participating. He was fresh from uh, Chennai, from his operation, recovering from his liver and what was it? Kidney transplant. And he gave us all gifts, including his bag. So this, somebody wants his bag. And then uh, I got some books in here about my poor. And here's here's your first book. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but I got, I didn't want to risk it all the way from my poor, but I do have some Maha. Burfi from Sri Sri Radhakanta and Nirtalaban. So we're going to put that out. It's, it's the dark Burfi. It's, it's the chewy, heavy Burfi. <laughs> it's not the light, you know, the light Burfi. So, yeah. Anyway, thank you for letting me share that. And uh, I'm sure more stuff will come out. Shoot. <laughs> All right. Much duro there. He's going to make a break. <laughs> Leave with that. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Anybody yeah. want a book bag? Thank you.